Hello, and welcome to an intro to Anthro with two humans. I'm human number one, John McRae. And I'm human number two, John Lear. And this is the podcast where we reassess what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And the title of this episode is Piltdown Meltdown, Anthropological Hoaxes, Fakes, and Falderalls. <laughs> and John, you, you've known me my entire life. Uh, you know that there's nothing I love more than Falderall. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. That is true. It was your CB handle uh, <laughs> back when CBs were, yeah. were big. It, which you, did, it wasn't a great handle. It was it was hard to understand <laughs> over the static. I had to turn the squelch way up. Right. I spent most yeah. of my time on the CB explaining what Falderall <laughs> because And truckers, uh, truckers aren't into that so yeah, much. Very few. Very few. Very but, few. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I would say a large part of my life, I mean, if Falderall is, uh, is, is sort of a... Uh, trivial nonsense, I guess is what you would say. And mm -hmm. I've spent a large, yeah. a large part of my life uh, investigating Falderall. And you might even say my life is a Falderall. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I the dancer has become the dance. But well, anyway. I mean, if you're going to go there, I think <laughs> now we're getting into nihilism. And uh, yeah, I think we're all on board at the end. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> Um, needless to say, Falderall has played a big part of my life. And um, just to give you a background, quick background of this episode's topic, uh, a couple of years ago, my wife, Mary, subscribed to The New Yorker. And, you know, like a lot of people, we put the new the magazines in the bathroom. So if you're taking a mm -hmm. bath or doing other business. It's the other business, let's be honest. Right. But yes. Exactly. Hmm. And as you know... It's very hard to finish a New Yorker article <laughs> in one sitting. I mean, they're very dense, very dense. You know, they sure are. Very well written, except for the the cartoons, which is the only right. thing I read in them. Right, right. And half but, of those I don't understand. Right, but we have a very large stack of New Yorkers in our bathroom right now. <laughs> And my my wife is she's a completist. She starts watching a series. She wants to see every you know mm -hmm. every one of them. If she starts following an artist, she wants to listen to every album. And so she's slowly working her way through that stack of wow uh, New Yorkers, reading everything, everything. God, right. she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you are so lucky to be married to that woman. <laughs> yeah, especially you know somebody who's into Falderall got lucky. But oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, so a couple weeks ago, she came up and came out of the bathroom, actually, and gave me an article that she had torn out of the New Yorker. And okay. she said, is this a hoax? Oh, boy. And, and when I looked at it, uh, it was an, an article from uh, by Rebecca Mead back in May 2021. <laughs> so that's how long it's, you know, we're still working on 2021. She's really behind. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, behind is the, uh, I mean, yeah. that's, you know. <laughs> She'll have to quit her job just to catch up on the, the New Yorker. <laughs> but it was an article about the CERN Abbas giant. Okay. Okay. And, and the CERN Abbas giant, for those who don't know, is a chalk figure in southern England, and that's where they they dig 
trenches and the outline of a figure. They fill it in with crushed white chalk, and it, it makes this very distinct white line. Yes. And there's a lot of chalk drawings in Southern England. <laughs> Why? Thousand- Why? Why? What is that? I, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of chalk down there, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got the resource. Right. And I, you know, I equate it to, you know how when you're driving across America and you're outside a small town and up on a hill somewhere, invariably the high sc- local high school or community college mm-hmm. is like painted some rocks with their initials. Go Badgers. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. They're just trying to identify themselves, give the, mm-hmm. give the location, the place. That's it's who a we shout, are. It's a shout to the universe. We are <laughs> here. Right. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. so-and-so community college. <laughs> we are here, you know. <laughs> just thousands it, of years ago. Right. So, um. And, and there's a lot of them in Southern England. Like there's the uh, long man of Wilmington. Uh, there's the, a lot of horses. There's the Uffington, uh, Uffington white horse. There's the Osmington white horse. Oh boy. And then there's the Cern Abbas giant. Mm-hmm. And the Cern Abbas giant is a little bit unique for all of these drawings. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I'm okay. not sure if you've ever seen him. If you if you have, it's CERN, C-E-R-N-E, and then Abbas, A-B-B-A-S. There used to be an abbey in this town back in like 1000 A.D. And as always, we'll have links to uh, right. to things in our, yeah. Right. <laughs> because in our description. Really, right. I'll try to describe it. I'll try to paint the picture yeah. with words. Please. So he's 180 feet tall. Jesus. He has... A small round head, mm-hmm. very long arms. He's holding a club, a very knobby club. Uh, he's he has eyebrows, which is pretty amazing. Myself, it brings yeah. it to life. Uh, he's got like just a little line for a mouth. He's ripped. He's ripped. You can see his six pack there. Wow! And it looks like he's wearing a belt. But what's the most amazing thing about? The Cernabas giant is he has the an penis. enormous erect penis. Right? Yes, I knew this is where we were going. <laughs> For some reason, if he's 180 feet tall, Jesus, uh, his penis is somebody's, you know, archaeologists have gone out there. His penis is 20 feet, 26 feet long. <laughs> My <laughs> God. Who's the graduate student had to measure oh. that? Oh, hey, Keith, I, get know, up there. <laughs> here's a tape measure. Yeah. Everybody else just at the bottom of the hill laughing. How big like, get is closer. it? <laughs> just a minute. And, and someone actually calculated that if this was drawn to scale, the penis would be nine inches long. <laughs> okay. Well, what's wrong? That's that's average, right? Right. It is for but, me. Well, <laughs> from your from your lips to God's ear is all I can say. But I, but somebody said, you know, I think it's because the archaeologist must have been a little intimidated because someone said, well, you know, it looks like they incorporated what once was a belly button. In that case, he would have only been about six inches long. Oh, <laughs> so they were trying still, to- I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, God. So the reason, Mary, I mean, it looks absurd. Like you look at it. I think Mary compared yeah. it to she goes, it looks like. 
a, an eighth grade boy has vandalized a Keith Haring painting. <laughs> so that gives you some idea. I mean, it's full on erect with, you know, everything. It's like you, what you would find in a bathroom. Yeah, exactly. And so there have been many theories about who did the Cernabis Giant and also the reason why they did the Cernabis Giant. And Do you think it could have been just the t- just that? A teenager from back in the day just defacing? Who, who, it took a lot of work is the whole yeah. thing to do. I mean, 180 well, feet tall, but... You ever teepee a house? That takes a lot of work, too. <laughs> I know you have, too. I mean, it's a theory. It's a theory. I mean, right. we can look right, into right, that. Right. We can submit that to the <laughs> Surinabas Foundation. Uh, but one thing's for certain. The first person that ever wrote about Cernabas was in 1694. So it's been there at least since 1694. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say, well, maybe it was a, a, a god of the old ancient Britons. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's going back. The I think it's the uh, Uffington horse actually goes back to the Bronze Age. So some people were saying, well, maybe it was back to the Bronze Age. Uh, other people said, well... You know, maybe it's a, a representation of Hercules, and it was put there by the Romans. Some people thought what? it was. <laughs> I mean, Hercules is, he, he was, sometimes he's represented with a club and with something yeah. in his arm, but. Yeah, well, his own penis in his arm. <laughs> but the Romans never drew eyebrows like those. He, that's I mean, what. That's. Yeah, to to me, it's like odd to have the eyebrows. The eyebrows are odd because they 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 spent more time on the eyebrows than the mouth. Exactly. Do you exactly. think his eyebrows are just being raised because he's like, oh my god, I'm, I'm fully <laughs> this is embarrassing. Yeah, this is humiliating. <laughs> I, I mean, you have to look at. You can even go on Google Maps. And Google the town of Cernabas, and you can see it from space or from the satellite. Oh you can see that Cernabas awesome. giant. That's what technology's for. Right. Right To there. see this giant. And you can see it all. Let me just say you can <laughs> see it all. Um, some people thought it was King George III who kind of compared himself to uh, Hercules. Again, coming back to Hercules. Some people thought it was Oliver Cromwell. And... Then some people Cromwell even always <clears throat> gets thrown in the mix. It seems yeah. like, and and some people were uh, people who felt that it wasn't Cromwell was like, well, Cromwell was always known for his long hair, mm-hmm. and this thing has a really small head <laughs> with no hair. So well, maybe uh, the hair, maybe it's in uh, the <clears throat> hair is covering the head, and that's why we only see it. Like maybe the hillside is the hair. Ooh, you know, see what I'm saying? And we're just seeing yeah. the part of his head. That isn't covered by hair. You have a They're real using gift. negative space. <laughs> you uh, have a real gift for this. <laughs> we need to get you a scholarship and get you back to get an advanced degree. God damn right. <laughs> so uh, the other thing that was kind of strange <clears throat> was that there was this abbey in the town. And so some people have said no one at the abbey has ever written about the Cernabas giant, even though you would be looking out your window and seeing this figure with this enormous, like the monks would be looking out at this figure with an enormous penis. But no one ever wrote that about it. That does seem odd because 
they would it, let's say they it, it, maybe they maybe they didn't want to say it because it was so phallic and so pagan and, right. or they they were offended by it. Yeah. Can you destroy it? Could it be destroyed? It it could be grown over. Like they think for some, you know, decades it was grown over and then people went back in and dug it out again. Oh, okay. You know, like, oh, what what's under there? But that's what this article is about was um Scientists and anthropologists recently have tried to date, figure out an exact date for the Cernobis giant. And, okay. and what they did is they dug down into the chalk all the way down to the, the, the baseline soil level. Mm-hmm. Meaning the soil level where that's where the people who initially put him there, they went down to that level and then filled it in with chalk. And they did two tests on it. The first test was they did... Um, analysis on the types of snails that were at that level because yeah <laughs> it's pretty interesting but there's that is s- interesting snails different types of snails were introduced in england at different times and so you can look at what types of snails wow. are at certain levels to say like okay when they came down here this snail's there so it had to be after this period when that type that's of snail was amazing there. yeah it's pretty that's cool. amazing it's pretty cool and the other thing they did was called optically stimulated luminescence, OSL. Uh, you're telling me. <laughs> you got to do OSL. So that was my junior year of high school. <laughs> so what OSL does is it can measure the amount of radiation that a soil sample has when it was covered, removed from daylight, when it was covered up. Man. And so the longer it was covered up, the higher the radiation level will be. That's kind of in a nutshell. It's a lot more, you know, complicated that I don't really understand. It. I know that you just order it. <laughs> you just order somebody to do order the, the test and you let right. some other people who understand it. Right. Yeah. It's right. like a COVID test. I don't know, but I know I'm yeah. not COVID. I'm not positive. Right. But anyway, when they did both of those tests, they realized that the Surinabis giant was medieval, probably from about 700 to 1100 AD or common. Mm. So it wow. wasn't from the Bronze not, Age. Not that old. But then again, it was also not a modern hoax, you know, right. from like the 16, 1700s. It, it was, so they have, I, to me, what's interesting is that our technology is getting good enough that we can actually get some confirmation on these mysteries that have eluded us for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is. And when I was done, you know, I kind of read it and explained it to Mary. Uh, She basically came. Did did you mansplain (laughs) it? I didn't think I was. Were your legs crossed or open? I was standing with my arms akimbo. (laughs) 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 On a chair talking down to her. That's what, and I don't know why she she seems to have taken offense to it or whatever. But but she said to me, ultimately, after all of this, I kind of explained OSL and uh, she said, well, you know, as an anthropologist and an archaeologist, is there any way you can uh, answer a question for me? I go, yeah, I'll try to. And I go, what is it? And she goes, "Uh, is he a grower or a shower? (laughs) I realized I had been punked. I had been punked. It was a hoax. The whole argument was just to get her to say, 
so that she could say to me, is he a grower or a shower? God, I love Mary. (laughs) But, but this got me thinking about hoaxes and anthropological hoaxes and mysteries. And like I said, I kind of include mysteries in there because there are a lot of, a lot of artifacts and a lot of, a lot of items as you know, they're hundreds of years old. People don't know if they were hoaxes and we didn't have the technology, but now we're starting to get the technology where we can look at things Mm -hmm. and kind of put, you know, just get some verification on it, at least for knowledge to know. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that have been hoaxes, a lot of mysteries. Uh, There was the Cardiff giant in 1860 in New York. Some guys were digging a well on a farm and they found a 10 foot tall uh, carved stone carved man. And so people were like, oh, this was a race of ancient people that lived here in New York. Or, you know, maybe this is even a fossilized version of it. Within a year, that was a hoax. Right. <laughs> they realized right. somebody had just carved him and planted him in there and was charging 50 cents for people to come and, and see him. And later, uh, a uh, a theater company in Chicago took the name Cardiff Giant, which Cardiff I thought Giant. was a great name, and they mm. were great. They did some great stuff. Yeah. Cardiff, it Giant. was fantastic. But that was very historical. That was a good name. I always I know. appreciated that a, name. Very obscure, like a bunch of crazy theater people, right? Um, then there's the Kensington Ruin Stone, <laughs> R U N E, which mm-hmm. was found in uh, Minnesota in the 1890s. And the Kensington Ruin Stone, again, a farmer. It's always a farmer looking around. Uh, on his property, found this stone tablet or stone post. And it had like Viking ruins, like Norse ruins on it. And it told the story about a group of Norwegians and Swedes in 13, I think it was 60 or 1390s, had made their way in there. And they were attacked by, you know, the local indigenous population. But it kind of... It, it, what it was, it was it kind of let Swedes know that they were already there. Norwegians know that they were already in before Columbus came. And and that was kind of it was it's harder to to test it. But just based on the ruins themselves, people, scholars have said, look, it's that's not the way they wrote back in 1390. And I mean, as far as like the vocabulary and everything. So, again, that one was uh is considered a hoax. Interesting. Um, I wonder who did that. God, to go to that <clears throat> effort. I mean, I just, it's a lot such, of work, a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. We have like, a lot of time. We have too much time on our hands. <laughs> humans, you know, yeah, just do just to, Anybody like who people. plays video games knows that. Yeah. Yeah. You could be carving a, a, a hoax for Jesus. like centuries from now. <laughs> You know, what the fuck? I mean, it's just so weird. Just go out to your garage and start chiseling away on a brick or something. Bury that thing. And, uh, there's Drake's plate. Have you ever heard of Drake's plate? No, um, I have not. Francis Drake, the uh, explorer, the explorer. And, uh, was supposed to have stopped in, in his journals. He talks about uh, his crew had to stop somewhere on the western coast of North America and repair the ship for like four months or something. And before he left, he he made a brass plate saying that he claimed it for England and nailed it to a post. In other words, the, the story was that, that that was the English actually controlled California. 
is what they were <laughs> saying. And in the 30s, uh, a guy changing a tire <laughs> found <laughs> Drake's plate. And sure enough, it's all written out like, I, Francis Drake, or, you know, <laughs> like claim this for, and uh, it somehow worked back to a professor at, I think it was uh, Cal State or someplace, or maybe I don't want to, you know, give <laughs> cast dispersions on Cal State, but it was some, it may not have been Cal State, but it was like a university uh, in California. He was a history professor. His whole life, he had wanted to find Drake's plate. <laughs> and of course, here it is. He, he gets excited. He says, this is authentic. And then later on, they start looking at the actual brass and they're like, well, this was mechanically rolled and then they start looking at the alloys in the brass and they're like hey that's they didn't make brass like that back in the 1500s was it the professor who was he ever because i would look at him as the one who did it they think it was a joke played on him by an organization oh. called eclampus vita which What's is like a, it's you'll have to look it up i mean it sounds fascinating but they uh it's kind of a his history it's it's a secret society they call it a secret society but it's really put together it was put together by miners back in the 1800s to kind of take kind of make fun of the masons make fun of the elks make fun of but eclampus vita they always come up with some sort of alternate history as a joke and so they think ah. maybe and he wasn't he was a clamper they call him clamper I'd like to be in. Cl I'd like to be a clamper. That sounds like my kind of club. It, it Are they looks the ones behind the uh, the Ark uh, being in Nova Scotia? I don't think so. I mean, you could look at look them up. They're hilarious. All right. Like all of their That's rituals cool. and their their regalia. It's it's fascinating. And it's anyway, all a they, joke. I I mean, I don't want to speak for for their organization, but just look it up and read about it. But apparently. Okay. He was a clamper, and they think E. Clampus Vita were playing a joke on him, and he took oh, it seriously. And then they couldn't, you know, nobody was willing to tell him, like, hey, you know. We were just joking. We, yeah, we just made that in, you know, Bob's garage. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the other one is Shrouded Turin, which, again, yes. Shrouded Turin is very contentious, like both sides, and no matter – what tests are done on it to date it? I mean, obviously, people, there's a record of it from the 1300s. Uh, and even in the 1300s, a local bishop in France, where it first arrived, uh, was saying this is a fraud, this is a hoax. <clears throat> but yet, people, there, there's always a, a response to that. So I don't want to get into it because that's like a whole other thing, still very yeah. contentious. That's like uh, people who have, you know, spilled their coffee and there's a Jesus coffee stain. And, you know, you're right. not going to tell me that that's not. Right. You know. Right. There's actually a term for that. It's like paroilia, paroilia, which is like where you see like I something in the, you know, in a, a shape in a cheese sandwich or something like that. I did a, a show called 10 Items or Less and our first episode was a, uh, a water stain. In the in the grocery <laughs> store, was that your first episode? I think it was. I really? Wow! First. You guys yeah. dove right in. You we dove right in. in. <laughs> Let's get into the crazy stuff. Uh, and they signed off on that. They signed. Off. <laughs> I get, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> they wouldn't let me say nipple, but they signed off on a Jesus stain. Mm, right. Wow. Wow. 
Um, but then this is all to bring us to today's topic. And that go. is probably the most famous uh, hoax in anthropology that we know. And, and the thing is, the really good hoaxes, we don't know that they're hoaxes yet. So this right. is up to, up to this point. This is a famous hoax in anthropology, and that's the Piltdown Skull. Okay, and here we so go. That's what we're talking about. We're getting so sit back, <laughs> fill up your drink, and let me take you back. <laughs> uh, no, but first, I think we need to discuss uh, a little bit about hoaxes and why okay. people, some of the reasons why people believe hoaxes, what makes a good hoax, if you're planning on hoaxing. Uh, you'll find this interesting. Um, in 2015, Peter Hancock, who's a research psychologist, uh, I think at the University of Central Florida. I should stop naming universities because people will be like, hey, that's not where I work. Oh, screw them. <clears throat> yeah. Just Do go the online best and you Google can. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pulling Come this on. out of my. <laughs> yeah. We're doing the like, best we can. Right. Uh, but he wrote a book called Hoax Springs Eternal, The Psychology of Cognitive Deception. Mm. And hoax is kind of a word that gets thrown around a lot these days. It I seems don't like it's it around very much. I, I, see, I gotta you? tell you, I don't say the word hoax very often. Like if you're at Starbucks, you're not like, like this yeah. coffee's a hoax. This, you this know, coffee tastes like a hoax. <laughs> People are like, what? <laughs> I want more whipped cream. On this hoax, <laughs> uh, it seems like anytime somebody writes something bad about something on the internet, that's where it's like it's a hoax. It's yeah, a hoax. right, right. No, this is that's why this is, in all seriousness, a great topic to discuss because fact is such a contentious uh, 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 thing. Where as humans, we're we're exploring the fact, the fact we're exploring the notion that you know what is truth, and it turns right. out. Not a lot. Nothing right. is really totally true. Right. Or there's a lot of layers of our own perception that is layered, you know, yeah. put on to that, that truth. Yeah. But, but I'm just going to say to everybody, if anybody writes anything bad about this podcast, I'm calling it a hoax. I'm calling it, I'm telling you right now. It's a hoax. <laughs> Good work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just setting it up right now. So watch out. You hoaxers. <laughs> but Hancock talks about two types of deceptions. We have sensory deception where we try to fool our senses, which is kind of like throughout history and evolution. That's been how we like camouflage, how we've tried to survive is fooling our senses. Right. Uh, and the other thing he talk, talks about is cognitive deception, which is where we try to fool the mind. Not just the <clears throat> senses, but we try to fool the mind. And hoaxing or hoaxers will take advantage of a lot of these uh, psychological processes and cultural biases that we have built into our mind right. in order to get us to accept the hoax. <laughs> and uh, Francis Bacon, who was another like philosopher and scientist back in the 1500s, in his book, the the new organon, really talks a lot. This isn't something new for us with the internet or whatever. He even talks about uh, how much people will believe or how much belief and emotion influences uh, 
what their idea of the truth is or what they accept as the truth. And he even said, <clears throat> and there's a couple different translate. He was writing in Latin. There's a couple different translations, but he said, human understanding is infused by desire and emotion, mm-hmm. which give rise to wishful science mm-hmm. for humans prefer to believe what they want to be true. They therefore reject difficulties being impatient of inquiry. Uh, so in other words, <clears throat> I'm getting that tattooed on both our backs. <laughs> Just all the That's, way. Yeah, in yeah. Latin. In, in Latin. Latin. Let's, let's in keep Latin. it in the original. Just so yeah. nobody can understand it except us. <laughs> or if we're ever at a pool with a bunch of Latin <laughs> teachers. High school Latin they'll, teachers. They'll all be so impressed with us as we're swimming. They'll be like, yeah, they'll be yeah. like, you know, you didn't use the right, the causative case or something. <laughs> My tattoo artist screwed up. Um, So in other words, what Hancock is also saying, and also Francis Bacon in a way, is that hoaxes tend to give us what we already want. So the hoaxer will decide what, you know, we want. We want to see. And the hoax will play upon that. Mm -hmm. And I think I already talked about pareidolia, which is the word fine I gave it. Pareidolia, which is what you were talking about, uh, where you see a shape. Yep. Um, that's something that we already have. And those usually yep. happen uh, naturally. Another thing is apophenia, where we make uh, cognitive connections between two unrelated facts or two mm-hmm. unrelated uh, uh, elements. So, for example, you'll be like, oh, well, I took my umbrella to work today. So, of course, it's going to rain. And there's really uh, right. no, no connection. No, no connection it. at all. Like yeah. if I get up and go to the bathroom during the Chiefs game, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Right. Exactly. And we all do it, I think. But it's but yeah. it's like I did making... it. I did it yesterday. <laughs> so did the other I. Day. And, they, and they won the game. Won. I'm doing it every time now. <laughs> uh, so the other thing, I mean, going on with what uh, Hancock talks about is over – Hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, uh, our brains have learned how to quickly process information. And so we can see, as you know, we're bringing in information all the time. We know we're sorting it, sorting it. Like, is this useful? Is this not useful? Do I need this right now? Do I not need this right now? And if you kind of think about your day or driving to the store, chances are you don't remember everything you saw when you went to the store because your brain was saying, I only need to know this car coming at me or whatever. I don't need to know everything I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And and so what we, what we do is as we sort it, we put into our brains the things that we think are important so that we can go in there later and pull that out. Mm-hmm. For and, later. Right. Exactly. And if not, you know, it's like we save it off to our hard drive, something that's important we may need. If we don't need it, you know, I don't need to remember what cars were in the McDonald's parking lot when I drove by. I just clear that cash. I don't yeah. even need Some people anymore. don't. <clears throat> I have a right. friend who's a super <clears throat> rec- uh, recognizer. Uh, really? Who she remembers every single face oh. she's ever seen. Oh. And I was talking to her husband about it, and he said, yeah, it's so weird. We'll be in the grocery store, and she'll say, that guy over there was the guy at 7-Eleven mm. uh, last Thursday. Oh. You know, 
It must be crazy? exhausting. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, ah, she's, <clears throat> she, she's, she seems okay. She's pretty happy and she's fun. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying like, yeah, that that's fascinating for the, yeah. for the brain. Um, yeah. We should talk to her sometime about that. Yeah. She'd be a great <clears throat> guest. Yeah. She really would. I'll look into yeah. that. Okay. Uh, and so again, Hancock comes back to when most people think about how they're experiencing the world, they think that they're looking at the stuff that's coming in right now. Like everybody likes to say, I go with the flow. I just respond to what life gives me. But really um, our perception of the world is more complicated than that because we're taking in that new information and then we're using that hard drive stored information to interpret what we're taking in and to give it significance. Yes. And, like reading. Everybody thinks yeah. reading, you're just reading the the letter of the word, but no, you're reading the whole word and you're <clears> reading, <throat> you're bringing into what you've just read and you're looking forward to right. what you will be reading in a sentence to make it all make sense. It's a very complex right. thing. <clears throat> right. And it's going on without us even knowing it. We're not even right. thinking about that. Uh, and so it comes down to the way we're seeing the world then is this really complicated hybrid of new material and these stored biases, memories, uh, and beliefs that we, we just have. And a lot of those we get from our culture, a lot of those we get from, uh, you know, from our own experiences. So a lot of times... Trial and error. <clears throat> when yeah. I touch this, it's hot, therefore... Right. It's always right. hot. And, and so that's a reason why also, you know, the way you experience the world may not be the same way someone else experiences the world. Wait, you what do you both... mean? Why do you say it like that? You. <laughs> you. you I'm talking about you because I've been with you <laughs> and I know how you experience the world. And I'm like, that's not. Well, I wouldn't be pointing any fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of delusions going on in my, I, I would say I haven't been, uh, a victim of a hoax, but there's a lot of self-delusion. <laughs> a lot of self-delusion. <laughs> well, you may be a victim of a hoax and <clears throat> you don't know it. It was really good. Possibly. Um, mm -hmm. I used to think I could play the harmonica. I so, remember so, that. <laughs> so, I remember that. It was a very embarrassing night in a bar one time in France where <laughs> I realized I can't play harmonica. And, uh, and so I'm wondering, I'd still say that was a hoax. Somebody perpetrated a hoax on me because I... <laughs> There's no way I would have done that on my own. I might have been a part of that because I feel like <laughs> I, I told you that your harmonica sounded good at some point. <laughs> you know, and, and looking back on it years later, I do think I was a good art. I think I was just, you know, I was before my time. I was. Have you ever have you ever seen the uh, the opera Votzek? <laughs> it's, no. it's it's atonal. It's a Votzek oh, is boy. atonal, and it's Ugh. tough to sit through. But if Ugh. you I wouldn't even say you have to love opera. I would say you have to love Bozek. <laughs> but it's you have to hate yourself. Yeah, it's German expressionist came out in the twenties. Oh. Atonal. I feel like that was what my my harmonica playing was. I think I was before my time. I was oh. the Bozek of drunken harmonica playing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the successful hoax will take advantage of these will exploit these stored memories and biases we have. 
And just to go over some quick biases, uh, we have confirmation bias okay. as humans, where we tend to seek out information that confirms what we already believe. Yes, <laughs> so, which is a, that's where our country is right now. <laughs> yeah, we, that's we, where a lot of people are. I mean, I know that's where Fox and MSNBC are making so much money. <laughs> uh, it was there before that, but I will say yeah. that you yeah. know it's like. We have a tendency psychologically that we already have an idea of what we think the world should be. Yeah. And then when we encounter evidence that supports that, we accept that immediately. Mm -hmm. And evidence that doesn't support that, we throw it out. Right. <laughs> or we don't. Right. And no matter how much information somebody can give us that it's one way, if it doesn't line up with what we think the world is already, we throw it out. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is wishful thinking in that we want the hoax to be true. The hoax will give us something that we want. Like the professor I was telling you about. Yes. Or, or just the idea of mystery of stuff that <clears throat> is unexplained. It's fun. I mean, oh, there are yeah. movies about, about this, you know, the Bigfoot, yeah. you know, the idea that Bigfoot could be running around in Seattle somewhere. is just yeah. delightful. Yeah. Um, and to me. And I would say as an anthropologist, I would love there to be a bipedal primate up in, that we haven't discovered. I would love it to be a, you know, uh homo erectus colony that's still up there. But the thing is, it's like, you need evidence. You need evidence. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you got to be careful that when people are giving, when you're finding the evidence that exactly lines up with what you want, you need to question it even more. Not saying it's yeah. not true, but I'm just saying you need to question it even more. That's uh, hard. That's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of mm -hmm. like uh what, Francis Bacon was saying was like, we, we don't want to spend the time to do that. Right. To go in and question it. And right. another bias we have is um, the longer we spend trying to prove something. Right. We become emotionally attached to it. Yes. Yes. And it's harder for us to let go of evidence or let go of what we wanted so much. We spent the last six years working on our thesis and then. Grover S. Krantz. Yeah, uh, an, an anthropologist who believed that Bigfoot existed and yeah. just ended up driving around in a truck trying to shoot one. <laughs> yeah, which we <laughs> to prove uh, it. I, I was going to bring him up. I'm going to save him for another. Yeah, I'm, we. You're I right. love Robert Krantz, and yeah, he was a very respected uh, physical yeah. anthropologist, and and again, he said, I will say quickly. Remember, it was Cripplefoot. That yes. he said was so sophisticated that it couldn't yes. possibly be hoaxed. Yeah, that was a footprint, a famous Bigfoot right. footprint. <clears throat> right. And uh, yeah, he, th he thought that proved it. Right. When in fact, no. It, it's, I mean, you see like with the Francis Drake, with all these other there there are academics, PhDs <laughs> that are out there <laughs> as a practical joke trying to hoax people. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. You're up against a lot. Right. You don't know. You don't know. What you don't I'm know. Open mind, but you need evidence. Objective evidence. I mean, we way. both take it for granted that we're good friends and that we care about mm -hmm. each other. But right. we don't know. Right. Down in inside your heart of hearts, what do I know? Right. How you really feel about me. Revenge. I could want some <laughs> deep revenge to go plant a, uh, I don't know. All Some, this time? 
You some trinket out there. I could if you find if you find Drake's plate. I'm gonna plant Drake's plate over across the street from your house and see what. <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll sell it. I'll sell that fucker. <laughs> yeah. Or some scroll. I'll come up with some scroll and plan. Yeah, get a, get a scroll. That's good. And they like, oh wow. And I'll or just sit sword. back. Swords are good. When you find me just like telling you, like, yeah, yeah, you need a pebble size hat. You need to <laughs> go on TV with that thing. Like without me like giving you any pushback, and then you know something. Wow. Um let's see. Uh so emotions, you get once you take a stand on something, you become very emotional about it. It's harder, mm-hmm. especially like publicly. Once you take a stand publicly for something, uh, it's hard for you to let go of it because you don't yeah. want to look foolish. We, none of us yes. want to look foolish. No. Uh, and then there's hindsight balance or, or bias, hindsight bias, where afterwards uh, we don't admit, we don't like to admit that we could have fallen for something like that. So we'll justify if, if we find out something was a hoax, then in our mind, we'll kind of dismiss and be like, well, I never really believed it, or I never would have believed that. And I think a lot of hoaxes that people fall for. And and I know I've had, uh, I knew somebody who was an art dealer in Chicago who had been uh, some, some con men had come in and had pulled a switch on him. And, uh, and again, he had fallen for it and, but yet he couldn't say anything, you know what I mean? Because that would because have ruined he, his business. Uh-huh. So he went ahead and sold the forgery knowing that no, it was no, a forgery? No, no, he, he would, they had like sold him something and then when he opened it up, it wasn't the same painting or something. Ah, uh, you know, like, I see. So. I see. They uh, did a switcheroo. Right. And again, it was like, well, I can't ever say anything because then that's my, my business that will be. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of hoaxes when people are victims of hoaxes, uh, you can't come out publicly and say like, Oh yeah, yeah. That was, you know, I did fall for that. Right. Right. And then there are all those that, that people never knew. I mean, I mean, I know this is a different category, but like the best con is the con where the person who was con never knew they were conned. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I it's um I think it would be hard. It takes a big person to say like, you know what I was wrong. You know, I spent yeah. all this research. And I think it's even not just for a con, but it it's uh like researchers like you spend so much of your time trying to prove a certain thesis or you yes. have in the back of your mind a certain thesis and then it's like you realize the evidence isn't showing that. Yeah. And you have to let it go. You have to go where the evidence takes you. But I think it's very hard for people to say, like, I just spent six years and two hundred thousand dollars in my thesis. You know, I you can't do that. You can't run a car on carrots or something. <laughs> Whatever it is. It and the other thing that Hancock says is that you don't want your hoax. I mean, he's not giving a. <clears throat> it's not a how-to book on how to hoax, but he says uh, you don't. The hoaxer doesn't want the hoax to be too. Uh, too perfect. Like you want gaps in the information so that ah. people people get involved. Because once you get them actively doing their own research on it or actively filling in the blanks, then that plays on all of those biases that we just discussed. 
Yes. Well, QAnon, a big part of that. People fill in the blanks. He said right. this, which really means <clears throat> this, that means that. Oh, this connects to right. that. And yeah. So in other words, you want debate. You want people criticizing. You want people saying that's BS. That's not true. Because mm-hmm. then the other person be like, well, why are you saying that? Because here's mm-hmm. my... And then the lack of evidence becomes a thing. Well, they're trying to cover it up because of lack of evidence. Yes. And, and so Hancock makes a really good point in that it's you want people arguing about it. You want people emotionally involved in it because he says, quote, it is apathy and neglect, not criticism that kills a viable hoax. That so other- is absolutely true. And that's what Facebook has done. Yeah. Is given all of this fuel for people to stick their two cents in, which fuels it, makes it bigger, makes it whether you're for or against it. Right. It just the arguing, the arguing alone grows it. Right. And the more you go out on a limb, the more you publish about whatever your point of view is, Mm -hmm. the harder it becomes for you to accept new information coming in, Mm -hmm. because that's just not the way psychologically we respond. Because we're little simple primates <laughs> who somehow invented all this crap, but it's bigger than we are. And yeah. soon, you know, we'll create the robots who will kill us all, like every science fiction book, as we've said. Right. Right. Soon, it, we're not is, long, it's not, it's coming. That is going to happen. That is going yes. to happen. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's what the government doesn't want you to know. Oh, there's many studies that show <laughs> it will. And this turns into some just completely. <laughs> Out of control, <laughs> robot conspiracy theory. Um, so let's move on to the Piltdown, Piltdown theory. So now we have a little yes. bit of a background of what yes. hoaxes are, and we can yeah. use that to kind of see how it applies to the Piltdown skull. Agreed. Um, so in the late 1800s, uh, this was only about 50 years after, um, I think Darwin published in like 1860 or something. So they were still trying to figure out like Darwin's theory of evolution, how that fit with human evolution, how that fit with the biblical history that was only, you know, the world 6,000 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, people were still trying to decide, well, did the large brain come first and then bipedalism, you know, walking on two legs or did we start walking on two legs first? And then we came up with the large brain developed later. And then there were people that were saying, well, this must be a a linear evolution, which is just very gradual. We went from apes and then directly, slowly evolved into modern humans, Mm -hmm. in which case we should have some skulls in there of this intermediate place where you had, Mm -hmm. you'd have like some ape and some human Mm -hmm. characteristics in the skull. Uh, And then people were starting to find like, you know, they found the Neanderthal skull in Germany. They then found a at near Heidelberg. They found like another, which looks like uh, it's now called the Homo Heidelbergensis, which was like a ancestor of both humans and Neanderthals. No oh, um, man, <clears throat> yeah. So people were just confused because they don't they don't know. Like this theory of evolution yeah, it's so is just messy. Start- it's not clean. It's not explainable. You know, it's not. Not uh, simple at all. Right. It's messy. And where do these types of skulls fit in? You know what I mean? Are they, like, are this modern human, not modern human? Who are they? 
Mm-hmm. But but really, what happened in England was uh, scientists were a little upset. For one thing, again, going back to they thought, well, we should be able to find a skull that has some human characteristics, some some ape characteristics. And then secondly, what they were really upset about was uh, none of these ancient skulls had been found in England. <laughs> it all, all been found. They'd all been found in like Belgium. They'd been found. Yeah, why in is Germany. there anything here in England? Right, right. And kind of implicitly or explicitly, uh, the idea was, hey, we're the most powerful country in the world at the time. Yeah, but well, you're a little dinkball <clears throat> island with bad weather. <laughs> well, I'm not, you know, their idea was obviously we're the apex of culture. Uh-huh, right. And therefore, human evolution should have come through England at exactly. some point. <clears throat> it kills them that it started in Africa or China. Right. And, and when those <clears throat> were coming, because there was a school that was found in Java, and they were like, this can't be. We don't know what that is, but obviously it has nothing to do with the modern human, which had to come <laughs> through Western Europe, specifically through England. And then, you know, some people were even like, look, Charles Darwin, who even came up with this, was English. We obviously, this thing has to have, has to come through us. And so that's kind of the, the environment in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. People are still trying to figure out what human evolution actually was and how do you make sense with these other skulls? So then enter a guy named Charles Dawson in the oh early 1900s. Here and we go. <laughs> now we're getting down to the Piltdown meltdown. Mm-hmm. So Charles Dawson was a solicitor. He was a lawyer. Uh, he lived in Lewis in Sussex in Southern England. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he worked in Uckfield. Uh-huh. Anybody it, who works up in Uckfield. Right. Right. Everybody knows those people from Uckfield. Uh, but he was an amateur geologist and paleontologist. And he had actually found some skulls, some <clears throat> dinosaur skulls, or not skulls, but some fossils and different. Well, this is during that time when you literally, you know, people were doing a lot of that. Yeah. The 18, I mean, that was kind of like the, the golden age of archaeology, you know, where, you know. Yeah, you're the gentleman goes out like I yeah. yeah my job I'm a solicitor but I also on the weekends I go out and I look for fossils mm-hmm. and and so a lot a of this right exactly that's what it is mm-hmm. uh, so a lot a lot of amateur meaning that they weren't working at a university but that yet they were still finding a lot of stuff and part of his duties was he was the steward <clears throat> of a place called Barkham Manor. In the village of Piltdown, which is outside of Uckfield. And in 1908, he had kind of like he had been out there before and he had seen this gravel pit by the side of the it's it's literally was right next <laughs> right next to the driveway going up to the manor. There was a gravel pit and some workers would go in there and dig in the gravel and then they use, you know, kind of spread it around in the garden or the roads or whatever. And Dawson told them, you know, hey, if you guys find anything, uh let me know, you know, whatever you find. So they said in, in 1908, the, the farmer or the workman came up to Dawson and they said, hey, we found these. We, we don't know what they are. We thought it was a coconut. 
<laughs> and what it was was they go, we broke it apart. And when they broke it apart, they realized it was part of a human skull. <laughs> so, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So they thought there was a coconut in a gravel pit in England? Yeah. Coconut? Yeah. How did coconut get there? Exactly. To me, that's the real mystery. Of the that's the mystery. But but they said, you know, they're digging in the gravel and they found uh, this round object. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, hey, it's a, I probably would have done the same. They like, hit it with your shovel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, yeah. It's First thing, like, see if we can break it open. Yeah. Get some of that coconut milk I hear about, you know, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of just a sidebar, I had a friend who brought a coconut back from uh, somewhere. And kept it in his room. And during a party, I think you might have been at this party. During a party, the coconut fell off a shelf and broke open and was full of maggots. Were you there <laughs> at that party? I think I, I seem to remember that. <laughs> and it was just horrid. Just horrid. You never know what's it. You got to shake those things. You know what? <laughs> just... Nothing will clear a party out faster than a bunch of maggots. Where did, where did he bring it back from? From someplace? Somewhere. Oh, God, that would be awful. It was. It was awful. (laughs) We were like, is that rice? Nope. That's not rice. (laughs) Anyway, sorry to to derail you. Pina coladas, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... They show it to Dawson, and Dawson says, this is a human skull. This is part of a human skull. It's not a complete human skull, but it's part of a human skull. So then, like four years later, Dawson calls his, or writes to his friend, some guy he had given fossils to before, a man by the name of Arthur Smith Woodward, oh, who, boy. keeper of geology at the British Museum. And again, Woodward, mm-hmm. very respected man. He was a geologist, mm-hmm. though. Uh and Dawson told him, hey, I found down at Piltdown, I found these parts of a skull. And I also found some eoliths. With, eolith is, uh, there was a big movement <laughs> in the late 1800s where people thought they were finding stone tools. And it, it just kind of looks like a tool was made. But yet you don't have certain things. Like if you make a stone tool out of flint, there's very, certain characteristics you can look at on the stone tool to tell that was made by a human or that was made by just rubbing against another rock or something. Yeah. But there was a whole if thing. If a rock about- falls off a mountain <clears throat> and break, you know, chips, that doesn't mean it's a stone tool. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is there were people that were really into eoliths and they would find eoliths everywhere. And it's kind of like the person who, every time they go out and you're out for a hike or something, like, look, it's a arrowhead, yeah. you know, and you're oh. like, well, yeah. this, you have to say, like, is there a bulb of percussion? Do you have pressure flaking on it? Oh, it's an arrowhead. Look at the shape of it. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing. So there was a, right. a real people who were into eoliths. But anyway, but he said, you know, I found some eoliths there. And I also found some paleoliths, which are actually, we can tell that they were made by humans. So this got Woodward kind of excited about it. So in June... 1912, uh, Dawson, Woodward, and also uh, Pierre Taylor de Chardin, who oh, was boy. a, <laughs> who was a, he was a Jesuit student. And Pierre uh, Taylor went on to become, uh, he's like a mystical writer. Like people are like, 
like really follow him. Pierre Interesting. Taylor. And Taylor, I, I don't want to get off track on it, but it's very as a he was a Jesuit priest and a geologist, but he felt like we were in a theistic evolution. So he believed in evolution that we were going from matter evolving through humans into complete spirit. So it's, it's another that. thing. Yeah, yes. it's pretty cool. It's pretty I cool. I love and, that. And I put some books on from uh, Pierre Taylor on the list, but it's very fascinating to read from a, a Catholic Jesuit priest who's very mystical of like where we're going. So he was into evolution. He believed that there were all kinds of different, you know, groups of, or like different lineages of possible hominids, but they went extinct and the humans, we were going through our brains and then we're going up into pure spirit. Yep. But anyway, when they went out there in June, they found some more bits and pieces of skull. And they also found, uh, I think Taylor found like an elephant molar, prehistoric <laughs> elephant molar out there. Taylor's like, look what I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh Taylor, <laughs> who brought him? <laughs> Just, I mean, it, it literally right off the road, <laughs> you know. And you see photos of it, and it's basically uh, Dawson, Woodward, Taylor, uh, this old guy. I can't remember. Venus was his first name, but he was like the workman out there that they got to shovel. They would make Venus do all the shoveling. Yeah, and, Take and then over there here, was, Venus. And then there was a, a goose named Chipper. Who they said <laughs> the goose what? would would follow them around when they were working in the pit. So their every photo has is Chipper the goose. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh God! So <laughs> not to, Venus, not, did Chipper eat my sandwich? <laughs> so you Taylor see them out. No, it was me. It doesn't matter though. In the end, we're all turning into pure energy. Jesus Christ, Hilar. <laughs> Even Chipper. You know, <laughs> Chipper, Chipper, better watch out. We're gonna be eating him tomorrow. So, at the end of June 1912, Taylor has gone back to France. Woodward Thank and Dawson God. are there working okay. in the pit. Yeah, and they find now they can get down to business. Right, like oh, thank God, Taylor's gone. Uh, <laughs> He just won't stop about going and evolving into pure energy. You know? <laughs> he just won't shut up. <laughs> just ask for a ride back to the hotel. <laughs> uh, so they found, at that time, they found half a jawbone that was very ape-like. And mm -hmm. I, not everybody can see it, but it was, it was this part of the jawbone. Mm -hmm. It was just a half of a jawbone. Okay. Yes. So they found pieces of a skull here. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's Not the pointing to the uh, head, for those of you just right. listening, the top of the head. Right. They found pieces of he... skull. Mm hmm And then they found the right side of a mandible mm -hmm. that was ape-like. And what was Jesus. interesting, it was missing the condyle, which is the condyle had been broken off somehow. What's the condyle? The condyle is this part of the jaw that is where the tendons attach the mandible to the cranium. I see. To the okay. maxilla. Okay. So, and that's kind of how you can tell how something would fit together. So conveniently, that that's part's missing. broken off. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but nobody, Interesting. everybody was like, oh, well, it was probably just broken off 
naturally. Darn, if only we had that, but we don't. But right. we can still infer. Exactly. And that's uh-huh. where they were like, well, you know, that jawbone, that ape jawbone was in the same layer that those hum- those fragments of the cranium were. So they must mm-hmm. be associated because the mm-hmm. odds of those just mm-hmm. ending up next to each other is so astronomical. That jawbone must go with that cranium. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what started everything. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder what Venus was thinking <laughs> while they were putting all that together. <laughs> I thought like, it was I a want... coconut the whole time. What do I know? <laughs> I just want to go to the pub, you know. <laughs> Chipper and me need a drink. Yeah. <laughs> so, <sighs> but that's where it provided them with exactly what the missing link was supposed to be. Mm. It was supposed to be a human type skull, modern human type skull with an ape like jaw. And it was just perfectly fit together. And so in December uh, 1912, Dawson and Woodward present their findings <laughs> to the London Geological Society. Oh, and boy. they call the find Eoanthropus Dawsoni, which means Dawson's Dawn Man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Dawsoni. So, yeah. Uh, and so, but the press was like, this was it. You know, it's like, obviously, this is a major find. This is the main line of human evolution did run through England. So the press went crazy and was calling it the first Englishman. You know, we finally found it. And there were certain people at the time were like, what do you say? What did you just found a? <laughs> you found an ape skull. That's obviously an ape skull next to fragments of a human bone. And of course they had an answer to everything. You know, it's like, well, what are, then you're saying that there were like, apes here in England at the same time as prehistoric humans. And we all know that apes disappeared millions of years ago in England, like a million years ago. And I mean, they just had an answer for it. Yeah. And, and, And everybody was arguing about what the skull meant in terms of the science, but nobody was ever questioning the authenticity of the skulls. Even the people that were saying that was a fossilized ape skull. Never said that skull may not be genuine. They all thought it was genuine fossils, <laughs> but they never questioned whether they were just saying that doesn't go together, but nobody ever questioned whether or not those were genuine fossils. And uh, right. so then Woodward takes those like nine fragments of skull and that half a jawbone, and he kind of imagines and makes a reconstruction of it. <laughs> And the reconstruction kind of fits what what he felt, you know, the right. missing link. Of course, it's art at this point. It's right. it's an artist, a conceptual art piece based on right his his yeah. So he his releases, observations. Right, he releases it. It's exactly what he felt the missing link would be. It was a very small brain case with a very large protruding ape like jaw. And but then not after a that, nine inch jaw like a penis, <laughs> like a yeah. yeah. Right. That would now. That's something to find. That's something. Yeah, to that's find a find in a gravel pit outside of <laughs> Oakfield. I'm trying uh, to think if there's a gravel pit near my house. I should be digging through. Go out there. Just start you never digging know. around. You never know. Go over to Griffith Park and <laughs> start just digging a hole. Excuse See what me. you can find. <laughs> uh, another guy named Arthur Keith, who uh, he was another anthropologist. 
they they then released they made casts of the the skulls and they let people like kind of look at them themselves but again with these casts then people were assembling their own type of uh what what the skull would look like so arthur keith he felt like the big brain came first so he put together the cast and of course his version has a big brain and the the jaws a little bit uh tighter in you know it's not so ape-like uh and what what's interesting in hindsight looking back on it is uh whenever somebody questions something about woodward's reconstruction within the next summer they would find (laughs) <laughs> an artifact that would, or a piece of bone that would answer that to support mm. Woodward's. Mm-hmm. So like people like Darwin had said, like uh, the human lineage would have like a large canine teeth, most likely kind of like an ape. At some point we would have had large canine teeth. Uh, teeth. And so the next summer, of course, Pierre Taylor is back. <laughs> from oh <France>. boy. <laughs> And in August 1913, Taylor finds a canine tooth oh. in the pit, and it fits exactly into uh, the jaw, just like Woodward had said. Wow. Uh, and then the other thing was people were saying, well, maybe this was just one individual with some cranial deformity of some sort. Right. And maybe it wasn't like a whole species. Well, what happens? 1913, Dawson says he's found other parts, other skull fragments away from Piltdown. In the place called Barkham Mills. And then in 1915, he says, Oh, I found some other up in Sheffield Park. But he never tells people exactly where he was looking. So he's just saying, Hey, I found these these fragments of skull. And, but again, people were like, Oh, okay. Well, that means that it wasn't a single individual. He's actually finding pieces that are similar to what we found at Piltdown. Again, nobody's questioning the authenticity of it. So in August 1916, Dawson dies. And what's interesting is when Dawson died, no other finds were found. Fell <laughs> down. That should have been something that should have. He just had a nose for bone. <laughs> yeah. Dawson. It's a small little. Dawson. Right yeah. next to the, the driveway. And yet yeah. nobody ever went there to do a full excavation on it. Uh, after Dawson dies, nothing else is found there. Um, so, but for 40 years, people kind of accepted. They were like, these are true fossils. Right. It's real. We don't know where it fits in, but it's real. And right. so then what happens is they start finding more skulls across the, across the world. And they realize these skulls are showing, yeah, we did have a small brain case. Like the in Africa, they found skulls. Uh, Raymond Dart in 1923, I think it was, found an Australopithecus. And it was like, yeah, we did have a small brain case when we started walking on two legs. And then suddenly it was like, well, how does that, you know, they just didn't know how this Piltdown skull yeah. fit in. And then in 1953, uh, three guys, Joseph Weiner, who was an anthropologist from, from South Africa, happened to be working at, in London. Uh, Kenneth Oakley, who was another, I think Oakley was a paleontologist. And a guy named uh, Wilfred Legros Clark, who was an uh, anatomist. They were at a, um, I think Oakley and Weiner were at a convention in London. And they, at dinner, they were talking about the Piltdown. Somehow the Piltdown skull came up. Yeah, it and, does all the time. I've been at many. 
yeah. mini dinner parties. <laughs> bring that up. He's talking about everybody... the pull down. Yeah. After this podcast, bring it up. <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> yeah. it really gets a, a conversation going. Ten uh, bucks if you can tell me the name of the <laughs> goose that was following him around. <laughs> but anyway, Weiner said in his in his uh, memoirs. He says he went home that night and he kept thinking about the Piltdown School. He was like, wait a second, why didn't anybody ever go back and excavate that thing? If it was so important, why didn't they do a full excavation? And he said the more, it's kind of interesting to read his his process, but the more he kept thinking about it, he was like, look, there's only one way all of those items would fit together. And that's if somebody had planted them, if they really didn't go together. And he was kind of embarrassed to come up with it, or he was afraid to come up with it because you're kind of calling out all of these old academics yeah, for not questioning. heroes at this point. Exactly. Of you're not, you're questioning like why they believed it or what, you know, he, he just said, it's very interesting. Um, if you get a chance to read uh, Joseph Weiner's memoirs, and, and kind of see how he comes to it because he, it's like him. I just imagine him like back at his apartment afterwards or at his house and in, in Oxford after this dinner. And like, you know what? It, it's gotta be a fake. They, they have to be placed there on purpose. And so he, he went back and he asked uh, Oakley to do uh, Oakley was famous for doing fluorine testing and fluorine uh, is found in groundwater. So if we, when you do flooring testing, bones that are buried in the ground will have, for a longer time, will have a larger uh, amount of flooring. And so he asked uh, Oakley to go test the, the original Piltdown skull for flooring. And what uh, Oakley found was both the jaw and the cranium pieces didn't have that much flooring, <laughs> which means that they were... They weren't ancient. They were modern. And even like the the molars, the elephant molars, all of those other fossils had high levels of fluorine, which means that they weren't buried at the same time as the jawbone and the cranium pieces. And even more important, the cranium piece and the jawbone piece <laughs> didn't have the same amount of fluorine, which right. if they were the same individual. Right. Uh, yeah. So then it which all is impossible. starts. Right. Because if they were buried at the same time, they would have the same amount of fluorine. So then they start looking closer. They they drill into the jaw. And uh, Weiner talks about when they drill into the jaw, uh, you could smell burning organic material, meaning that it wasn't even a fossil. You know, it wow. wasn't. It was, uh, wow. And then they, they did microscopic analysis on the jaw itself and realized that the teeth had been filed down. To make to make it, you could see little scratch marks on it to make it look like it fit with that skull, you know. So again, not only was the condyle missing, Ugh. but somebody had filed the teeth. Um, they but to did... what end? Why? Why? Exactly. Exactly. Nobody knows. Nobody knows why, why they did I'll it. Go to all of that for what? To what end? Right. Right. And again, it's like, was it for money? Nobody made any money. Was it for a joke to play a hoax on somebody? Uh, they did, they tested the x-rays of the, the tooth that was found and they realized <laughs> a hole had been drilled in it and it had been filled with sand to make it look like a, uh, a fossil. And then like whoever did it must've been running out of time because they, they painted it with brown paint. <laughs> oh my God. 
But why? Yeah, that's. I mean, it could go on. And I mean, was it was it Dawson? That's where we're at right now. Is once they realized that, they also looked at radiation and realized, hey, the elephant molar actually didn't get based on the radiation. It came from Africa. It didn't come from. <laughs> it didn't come from England. Uh, they had found that. Well, you know, the stick. Frenchman just dropped that in there, <laughs> yeah, just out like of his shit. pocket. Excuse me. Hey right. guys, look over there. Where did the goose go? Right, and then just so, drop it in there, cover it up with your foot. <laughs> <laughs> so there were all these things that they found, like a digging stick they realized had been cut with a with a metal knife, which obviously they didn't have metal knives. Yeah, 50, why would 000. you need a digging stick if you had a metal knife? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why don't you just use the knife? Hind, hindsight. It's the hindsight balance. Now it seems so like easy for us to say it. But that's what it was. And when they announced it, people were kind of, the scientific community were kind of upset, but they were also relieved because they could never figure out how this crazy skull with a modern cranium and a jaw, an ape-like jaw fit into yeah. human evolution. So they were kind yeah. of relieved by it. But then, uh, Afterwards, after it was all exposed, Weiner went back to Lewis, which is the town that Dawson was from. And he started asking around questions and people were like, oh, that guy, you know, <laughs> he plagiarized. He wrote a history of Hastings Castle and he plagiarized. And then, you know, he, he misrepresented himself as a member of the Sussex Geological Society to buy the Lewis Castle for himself. Wow. You know. And then people just were, a, a fraud, a, 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 a shim sham man. A, a, I don't even know what he. Why though? Why? I, but the thing is, he had actually found like real fossils. That's the whole thing. So now, no one ever confessed. Okay, no one ever, no deathbed confession. No one ever said. And so now, uh, there's all kinds of. It's it's a whole who done it. You know, like you go through mm-hmm. and you look at all of the academics. You look at all of the people. And people are like, was it Dawson? But what was Dawson getting out of it? You mm-hmm. know, uh, he didn't, yeah, I guess, fame. I, who knows? Was it Woodward? Woodward had to know that if this was found out, he would be disgraced as an academic. Uh, some people think Pierre Taylor de Chardin was doing it maybe as a yeah. joke. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle even comes up. Uh, the author of Sherlock Holmes, people are like, <laughs> he was having an argument with some other anthropologists about spirituality or spiritualism. And maybe Arthur Conan Doyle did it just to like sh- show how, fo- how foolish these scientists are or something. Um, Ooh, I and like then, that. Yeah. And then another guy who has a pretty convincing argument is uh, he was um, Ian Langham, who died in 1980 at a young age, but he, he was also an anthropologist from Australia, but he had gone through Arthur Keith, that guy who had come up with the second reconstruction had gone through all of his journals. And he was saying, there's just discrepancies in what Keith is saying, you know, when he met Dawson, when he didn't meet Dawson, when he first heard about the Piltdown, we, you know, so Langham, his argument was he thought Keith had done it. But again, it's like, well, mm. why? Nobody knows why? why they would do it. Was it a mm. was it a joke that got out of hand? Like, I'm just going to play this I joke on so. Dawson? Too much time on your hands. <laughs> it's, it's the reason 
that I've played, you know, all those video games. Yeah. I don't have to hunt and gather anymore. So what do you do with all that time? You do weird stuff. Everybody's doing it. Right. And it could be, I mean, everybody kept saying, well, you had to really know chemistry because these were, all the bones were stained the same color with iron. And even they, they tried to stain the tools that were found there. Jesus. Um, So somebody with a little bit of knowledge, and then years later, like 40 years later, somebody was like, I remember going into Dawson's office and he had a bunch of chemicals out, but you know, it's like, like any murder, like not murder mystery, yeah. but a mystery. It's like you can't remember decades later what someone yeah. was doing. But anyway, wow. but so in conclusion, <laughs> wow, this is a good one. <laughs> I mean, what do, what do we talk about for our conclusion? It's it's like in terms of a hoax, Piltdown was the perfect hoax. It was, and in a sense. The hoaxes of this world are are as important as the discoveries right. because truth and fact, it, it doesn't exist. It, it, it exists to a certain percentage. Like, well, they've yeah. never proved, uh, well, yes, but a, a large percentage of us have chosen to believe that based on uh, cer- certain studies and evidence, you know, but there's never, ever, ever black and white to anything. Yeah. So yeah. the hoaxes sort of, um, in a sense, like offer us the the notion that hey, nothing's true, and the and the and the science offers us the notion that everything is provable, when in fact neither of them tell the whole story. Right. And I always, uh, one thing I learned in, in grad school was like, you always, as a, like, look, I, I want all of this. I would love there to be a Bigfoot. I'd love there to be whatever. But, but all you can say as a scientist is based on the evidence we have right now, this is the conclusions we can draw. So scientists exactly. are always open for new material. So this idea of like, well, scientists are, don't know everything. It's like, no, but. They want to know everything. They're looking for new material. They're, they're open to new evidence to come in. It's it's when we reject that evidence that doesn't agree with what we want it to be. Yeah, based on, on our limited scope, because we've been on Facebook or reading stuff, but we're yeah. so our ego is such that, oh, well, I, I've figured it out. I know. Right. I had a friend who was going through a divorce and he was always telling me about what his lawyer wasn't doing right and how he was trying, he got her to do stuff against her advice. And I said to him, like, dude, either fire the lawyer and get another lawyer or do what the lawyer says. You're screwing yeah. up on both sides. Right. Right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. You're out, you're out of no man's land. Yeah. Doubting your lawyer when you don't even have a a law degree or anything close to it. Yeah. yeah but logically, this is what I'm like, oh. logically, what are you talking about? Yeah. Logically. Yeah. Um, but you can so, see how that, that leads us to like that ego and emotion. Yeah. And no matter what you tell him, if it doesn't agree with what he wants to hear, it's like, well, he obviously, John doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever. Right. Or the lawyer doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right. I know. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, well, that's why I want to become a chomper. What are they called? The chompers? <laughs> e clampus vita. Clamper. Should, yeah, a clamper. You should look at that. I'm going to be a clamper. Uh, just fuck shit up. I love chaos. 
This is one of the things that people who don't who hate LA don't realize. I love LA, and the reason I love LA is because it's a total <laughs> mess. It's just chaos. It's strip yeah. malls and then mountains and then rich people and poor. It's just a, a vomit of mankind. Yeah. And um, that chaos to me feels the closest to what is is true, what we are, you know, which is just, it's, there's nothing organized or protected or, yeah. It's all moving. Everything's moving. The ground is shifting underneath us. There's nothing to hang our hat on. Wow. And I love but, that. I love it. Do you think that's all large cities or do you think that's just LA? Like, do you feel that in New York as well? That it's New York is kind of like everybody seems to know like where you yeah. go and what. Yeah, it's not as messy. I mean, they all have elements, but I've never been to a place. I hear Mexico City is, is like that. I'd love to spend some time in Mexico City. But it's yeah. just a, a mess. LA is just a mess. And that's what makes it beautiful, you know? Yeah. That wow. You, that there, there is no there there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. All you right. Come out and visit again. I miss you. Come on out. <laughs> I, I miss LA, too. I love LA as well. Yeah. For, yeah. for the same reason. LA is not what everybody thinks it is i think it's no most lovely people i've ever met yeah nobody knows chaos. what la is that's what's so great about it there's yeah. no definition it's just a, a vomit of mankind <laughs> it's a gravel pit yeah filled with broken mandible bones <laughs> get, get, get your trowel and get out there get out in your backyard and start digging Find around your venus your internal right. venus and start shoveling for coconuts <laughs> And Chipper. Don't forget Chipper. And Chipper. Oh, Chipper. <laughs> All the photos, if you ever go online, look around for it. You'll see, like... That's the funniest part of the whole story. And the Chipper. intrepid intrepid Chipper right there in the pit with him. Just kills me. Kills me. All right. Wonderful. So that was fun. I think we learned something, hopefully. Mm. God. And totally. remember... Any bad comments, I'm calling that hoax. That's right. Hoax They're not true. Fake news. All right. Well, Any... this is uh, human number two. And this and... is human number one. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, uh, next time. Sounds great. Thanks, John. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Bye.